Howdy, y'all. Um, before I get started, I just want to say something uh, about the service. Uh, every Sunday night, uh, it's always an encouragement to see the little kids come up and say verses. Um, you don't see that in every church, and that just shows you uh, that our children are really hiding the Word of God in their heart. So, uh, you know, it would be more encouraging, though, is if we could get the teens to say the church memory verse for the month. Been working on that. So uh, just uh, let, let those little kids put a fire under you, teens, and uh, you'll get there. Um, well, I'm going to talk about my message before I actually preach it. Uh, they had a preacher boy contest uh, before I got out uh, to come back here. And uh, I had to find something that I wanted to present to what I consider one of the best preachers in the world. So uh, I chose a topic on uh, the topic quitting. And uh, I, tried to, I tried to pick somebody I thought would be good for that. So uh, like I said, uh, I, cho I chose the topic quitting because at West Coast, the sad reality is that not, a, not everyone makes it to the end. So hopefully tonight I can uh, encourage you guys not to quit. So uh, with uh, further ado, I, I titled this, uh, this message A Conscious Choice because when you quit, you're making a conscious choice to stop what you're doing. So hopefully we can make the conscious choice tonight to keep going. Uh, I stole a quote. I usually ask the teens a question on Wednesday night to get their brains flowing with blood, but I assume that all of you guys are alert tonight. And uh, the quote I picked uh, was from Plutarch, and it says, nothing is harder to direct than a man in prosperity. And then it has a semicolon, nothing more easily managed than that one that is an adversity. So uh, that just rings true to the Bible that it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven because he has that prosperity. But when someone's in tribulation, God can mold them to what they need to be. So, um, like I said, tonight I'd like to speak on when you're in the mountains and when you're in the valleys um, in the spiritual life. You know, when you get there, how do you react? Do you shut down? Do you keep going? Um, and how do those choices affect others? You know, I believe, like I said, there's one character in the Bible that uh, when you examine his life, uh, he portrays these moments, and he portrays uh, how to get through them. Um, and that person's Elijah. Uh, in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 17 through 18, it says, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And then the next verse says, And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So... If we're just to take what the Bible says here, he's subject to like passions. He has the same wants and desires as we do, but look how greatly God used him. Um, he was a prophet of God, uh, and he helped bring spiritual revival to Israel. So if he's just like us, why can't we be just like him? Um, tonight I'd like to examine his story in order to show that our choices matter. So if you turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19, 8 through 9, and then I'll pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you for allowing us all to come here tonight. Thank you for allowing 
everyone here to be an encouragement to me, Lord, especially as I go back to college. I pray that you give me the words to speak, the power to speak, Lord, and I pray that uh, you just help them to listen and to get what you want them to get out of this, Lord. In your name, amen. So I'll read. And he answered him, oh, I am, go tell thy Lord, wait, oh, I think I'm in the wrong chapter, sorry. Look at that, or you off to a good start. Okay. And he arose and did eat and drink, and he went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto the cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and in a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave, and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shabbat, of, oh man, this is hard, of Abel Molohath, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of oh, Jehu shall Elisha slay. Uh, I messed up. Yeah. Yet I have uh, left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which have not kissed him. And then I'm only going to read a part of this verse. So he departed thence. Uh, we all know the story of Elijah. We've all been, well, most of us have been in Sunday school. Uh, he was a great prophet of the Lord, uh, did many miracles, I think uh, exactly seven. And uh, just a chapter before this, we see him on uh, Mount Carmel, and he has that test where the 450 prophets of Baal are on the mountain, and he's like, well, if you can get fire from your God, then let him be king over Israel. But if we get fire from the Lord God of Israel, then he is God of Israel. And uh, we see the, the little show they put on where they're cutting themselves, and they're screaming, and even Elijah has a little bit of fun, and he mocks him. That's probably something I would have did. I would have been like, where's your God? Ha, ha, ha. Just like Elijah did. And uh, Bell did not show up. That's probably because Bell wasn't real. Um, and uh, Bell didn't show up, and that gave Elijah the opportunity, the opportunity to show who God was. And uh, he did a little funny routine where they built the altar, and then he, they doused it with water. And you know, remember, it says in James that he prayed that it wouldn't rain. And they were in a little bit of a drought. So 
I'd be thinking to myself, if I was a bystander, he's wasting a lot of water right there. But uh, it was to show God's power, and he, he douses the altar with water. And as faithful as God is, he brought down fire, and he burned up the sacrifice. And you just you think about that. After that, Elijah gives the command to kill the 450 prophets of Baal, and you just think about that victory as you read chapter 18, and you're thinking to yourself, wow, what a God we serve. Am I right? right? He was able, they were able to vanquish 450 prophets of Baal, what we would call Antichrist today if they were preaching in any other name. And just think of the influence for the devil that was just gone out of Israel at that time. I mean, as Christians, when we see someone get saved, we're excited, we're all raised up. And uh, that's exactly where Elijah was. And it doesn't just end there. Um, they have a little foot race down to the palace, and Elijah happens to outrun the king's chariot. Uh, just think of the adrenaline, the power that uh, he must have been going through when that happened. Um, I remember when I ran my 40s in football, and uh, that's 40 yards. And uh, a normal person, or I guess a true athlete, can run it around a little bit under five seconds. I ran mine at a 5.6, and I thought I was Lightning McQueen. But uh, just think, he's out running horses. The king's horses let you mind that they're the best horses in all of Israel if the king has them. And God gives him that, that, just that ability. And when he gets there, the queen of Israel, Jezebel, says, well, I'm going to kill you. And all of a sudden, all that victory that he just went through, all that power that God just gave him just fades from his mind, and he's mentally and spiritually crippled at that point. He runs off, um, he lays on the ground, and he says, uh, Lord, kill. He wants to die. He tells the Lord to kill him. And I, I was thinking to myself, I was, I was studying this passage, uh, if you wanted to die so bad, why won't you just let Jezebel kill you? Why would you run all that extra distance? And uh, that makes me think that he didn't truly want to die, but uh, <laughs> just a little bit going through my head. But uh, it makes me think that... Uh, he wanted to preserve his life, but uh, God needed to pick him up. So God sent his angels down. Uh, he fed him, gave him uh, water to drink, and preserved him. And they, he told him to go on the journey because the journey was great. And uh, apparently the distance between where Elijah was to Mount Horeb was 200 miles. Um, and he traveled that within the span of 40 days. And I did the math just the other day, and that's about five miles a day. Well, I decided that, you know, I was like, maybe, maybe I've walked that much this summer, and I have. But I, I didn't do it in 40 days. Um, apparently, Moore's a pretty big place, so I got it within a month. <laughs> Beat Elijah. Mm. But uh, he gets there, and uh, the Lord presents himself. Uh, whenever you seclude yourself in the, in the motive of talking to the Lord, he's going to present himself if you have if you come there for that. And uh, he goes to the Lord's mountain and he presents himself. And when God says, what are you doing here? Elijah gives his answer. And I'm just going to repeat it. Uh, he says, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. What he said to God, I don't think is wrong. Um, well, he, the last part was, but Israel had been 
truly wicked, and uh, they had they had been spiritually adulterous with God. Um, they had killed his prophets. They had mocked his name. They were worshiping a fake God that had no power. And uh, they well, and Elijah. The only part where I think he, where he was wrong was when he said, "I am only left." And I think that's what kind of caused him to be in a little bit of despair. Uh, he set himself up as a little bit more important in God's scheme than he really was because God always has a plan. So uh, whether I die right now or not, God will have someone else to preach his word. So uh, Elijah was a little mistaken, but he was right about Israel being uh, in the wrong. And Elijah wanted God to do uh, what sometimes God does best. He wanted God to judge and uh, he puts him through a series of events, uh, an earthquake, a fire, and a strong wind. And as I was studying this, I even had a talk with Pastor of why the Lord wasn't in all those series of great feats. And uh, there were several theories I came up Well, I didn't come up with that. I read one being that the Lord wasn't in it because he sent his angels to do it. I don't technically agree with that one, but that's just one I read. Another one was that God's heart is not in punishing his people. And the only reason it was in the small voice was because God wants us to come back to him. He wants to be gentle with us. Uh, and another one is, uh, Pastor talked about motivations today. Uh, can you guys speak to this? Which one's a better motivation, fear or love? And that's the one that I uh, enjoyed the most, was that God wants to motivate us through love and not fear. And when God gave Elijah that small voice, he came out with humility, wrapped his face in his mantle, and he let God speak. And he asked him, what doest thou here? And I guess Elijah thought his answer was uh, good enough to repeat, so he did to the Lord. And God was able to give him some direction. And God was only able to give him some direction after he had put on some humility and wrapped his face. Um, and his direction was... God gave him the steps he would take to judge Israel. You know, God cannot leave wickedness unpunished. He gave him the king of Syria, king of Syria Hazel, the king of the new king of Israel, Jehu, and the next prophet, Elisha. But God also gave uh, Elijah a little bit of encouragement. Uh, Elijah thought he was the only one left. Well, it turns out it was uh, seven times, seven thousand times better than he thought, and it usually is that uh, there were 7,000 people that hadn't been the knee. And uh, I, t I, I read that story, and to give you some points, that Elijah was at the mountaintop, quite literally. And next thing you knew, he was in a valley. And I want to I wanna go through those steps, and I want to go through what would have happened if he quit. What happens if, in verse... Number 19, it would have said, so he stayed there, not that he departed. Um, so, and my first point, I want to talk about his victory. Um, the best thing I can, uh, the best thing I could come up with my mind for a parallel to his victory was the, the War of Independence. Uh, there was one singular man against 450 prophets of Baal. Of course, he had God on his side, which would make him the automatic winner, um, but uh you think, well, that's, that's a lot of people to be going against. And I, I just thought about America and how we had, the, we had the fight, the British, who had the best Navy in the world, um, had the best trained soldiers, 
And of course, I think God was on our side. And uh, we were able to beat the British. And that's kind of the way I could understand in my head of what, Eli what Elijah was going through. But the first point is that God provided the strength. Um, if God had not provided the fire at Mount Horeb, nothing, not, no change in Israel would have ever occurred, I don't think, at that point. Uh, there would have been no cause to say Bel is a false god, and uh, the people would have stayed in spiritual adultery and idolatry. Um, if God doesn't provide power in our Christian lives, we won't be able to affect others either. Um, if you're not praying, if you're not reading your Bible, you're going to be a pretty weak Christian. Um, I told this to the teens. I said, if you're not reading your Bible and you're not praying, it's going to show. Um, whenever you have God in your life, people notice. And uh, if you don't have the power of God, you're going to be a weak Christian, and people are going to know that. Uh, when I was going out to do the door knocking, I needed God's strength. Um, I know I don't have it as bad as other people I might think I do, but uh, I'd, I'd walk for about nine miles a day, and I'd be like, my feet really hurt. But if it wasn't through God's strength of encouraging me that his word changes people's lives, I might have quit in the middle of that. You know, if I didn't have God's power, I would have been able to do that. And, I'm, and what I'll tell you guys is that if you don't have God's power, you won't be able to serve him either because God's power is what helps us do his mission. The next point is that the servant has to be willing. Elijah was willing to go up there to that mountain to build the altar, to douse it with water, and to fight the prophets of Baal. If he wouldn't have been willing, God would have had to choose someone else. Um, and if you aren't willing to serve God, then God won't be able to put his power in you and there won't be a victory. Uh, there can only be victory with a victor. And if the person who's up to the challenge is not willing to do that challenge, there will be no victory. Um, it's all about willingness. Like I said from the quote at the beginning, uh, it's harder to direct someone in prosperity, but if you're, uh, if you're in adversity, you're easy, easily moldable. Um, and if you're uh, willing to serve God, you better bet he will use you. So... Uh, that's that point. I'm sorry, guys. I'm a little sick. I'm just going to say that from the pulpit right now. So, um, and the third point of this of this major point is that ultimately God will win the day. Um, I'm going to say this. This is a maybe I'll get an amen. God never loses. Um, one of one of my uh, favorite songs is Jesus Never Fails. Basically, the same thing. Um, God is not a loser. He's had a plan throughout history. That plan that he's made has never been broken. It's never failed once, and it will never, it never will. Um, whether a servant has been unwilling in the past, God has, God has always had a way to push forward. Uh, God has never not had the power to do his plan, and he's always succeeded. Um, so when you're on that mountaintop, you can think to yourself, I'm here because God's a winner. God's victorious. Um, whenever you do hit that victory, it wasn't because of you. It was because of God and his power he gave you and because of your willingness. So that point was to say that uh, God's a winner. And we saw that. Uh, we saw that uh, 
God defeated the 450 prophets of Baal. When I was thinking about this poem, I was writing this. Uh, remember when, uh, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, Goliath was a, uh, a Philistine. When the Philistines, thank you, Pastor. <laughs> when, uh, when the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and they put him in their temple of Dagon, what happened to the, the statue of Dagon? It fell down. There is no God that can stand up, well, no false God, that can stand up to God. Um, and like I said, God will always be victorious. Um, well, after you get to that point of victory, something always comes after that. And uh, to keep it alliterated, I called it vexation, or being vexed. Uh, when I was out soul winning one day uh, for Jewish, uh, this was the very first day I did Jewish, I was having a great time. I was handing out the information, uh, smiles on people's faces. You could just see them being intrigued by, uh, being intrigued by God, and that's kind of rare in California. But uh, I got I got to one door and I saw some motion to the very next door next to me, and as I was, I was walking up the driveway, he sent his dogs out and I heard get him, and these dogs chased me down the road, <laughs> and I was I was there on my mountaintop thinking, well, I am serving the Lord having a great time, and these dogs come after me. And that was just a little bit of persecution, of being vexed a little. And I'm happy to say I survived. Um, but, but there's always a vexation to come after a spiritual victory. That's when we kind of lower our guard, and that's when the enemy is able to attack. Uh, we see Satan attack uh, Elijah exactly at this point, right when he gets back to the palace. Um, Satan had attacked with Bel at the very beginning of this. Uh, you, say, you ask yourself, well, how did Bel get into Israel? Uh, you remember uh, that prophet named Balaam? Uh, we had that famous donkey story. Um, well, when he was getting paid to curse the nation of Israel, he couldn't do it because God wouldn't allow him. But he did give the, the enemy king a secret weapon that is still used against God's people today. And he said, if you can get the nation of Israel to have spiritual adultery from God, you'll make them weak, just as weak as you are. And look at that now today. That affected the nation of Israel for a very long time, and that still affects the church today. We see people um, in spiritual idolatry with the world all the time. Like I told them, watching bad TV shows, listening to bad music. Um, one of the biggest examples of spiritual idolatry that I've seen is the attack on Christian music. Um, no way in the world would I ever think that rap music could be glorifying to God. Um, putting the word Christian in front of it doesn't change the fact of where it comes from. Uh, like Randy said in the Sunday school class, it comes from uh, a history of berating women, uh, being, uh, and what is the word, uh, antagonizing to police officers. Um, it just, it doesn't come from a place of righteousness. But the devil uses music, I mean, he was a choister of heaven, to get into Christians' lives and to attack them. And that's just another form of spiritual idolatry. And that's the way Satan helped attack uh, Elijah here. Uh, he had the queen of Israel on his side. He also had the king, but mostly the queen. She had the power, as all women do. And uh, he had the queen of Israel on his side. And 
he told her, he said, I, I, I don't know if he physically spoke to her, but he said he gave the command to attack Elijah, and Elijah fled. Um, another person that attacked Elijah was the world, and representing the world was Jezebel. Um, whenever you serve God, uh, the world does not like it. Uh, many doors I knocked, they weren't happy with me, mostly because they had a no soliciting sign, and I still knocked on their door. And uh, the world doesn't like it when you serve Christ. You see those, we see in the news Christian bakers who refuse to perform an act that they find degrading to their faith, and they're sued to oblivion. Uh, we see Christians uh, in, the, in foreign countries that are killed for their faith just because they want to serve the Lord. The world will never be on our side, and they'll always attack us. So... Whenever you're serving God, expect it. Don't think that the world will come around at some point because they'll always be against you. Uh, the last person that will attack you is your flesh. Um, a lot of us forget about that enemy, but it's always with us until we're glorified. Um, and you say, well, how did Elijah's flesh attack him? Well, it brought in the doubt. Uh, is God going to protect me from this woman? Is God going to preserve me? Does God still have the power? I think that that doubt really drove a wedge in there from his flesh that caused him to flee. Um, and we see it nowadays. Uh, our flesh keeps us from reading our Bible. Our flesh keeps us from praying. Our flesh keeps us from telling that cashier at Walmart that they need a Savior. Our flesh keeps us from doing and serving the Lord. And... Uh, we don't recognize it, that enemy will creep in on us and really give us the final killing blow. So we need to be fixated on that after a spiritual victory, these three people are going to come after us. Satan, the world, and our flesh. Now, after you're attacked, you have a decision to make. And this point I called facilitating. I really had to open the dictionary for that one. Um, and Bible college, they teach us one thing when you're in homiletics, the study of preaching, alliteration. Because if you don't, you're an ungodly preacher. And uh, I got this word facilitating, and it is a, the definition is having a hard choice. And uh, when I was thinking about this, who has a hard choice? I thought about uh, the story of the guy in 127 hours. Uh, he was literally between a rock and a hard place. His arm was, at least. And he had this decision, I'll either cut my arm off and survive, or I'm going to stay here and die. And we all know the story. He literally cut his arm off in order to survive. And you think, well, that guy had a really tough choice. But so do we in serving God. Um, I, I listed out a series of questions that I think Elijah asked himself as he was going to that, that mountain of God, that he asked himself in preparation, um, and I'll give you this. The first question I think Elijah asked himself before he made the decision to keep serving the Lord was, had he done enough? Um, had he served God enough? He had already killed off 450 prophets of Baal, and he had done other miracles that made God's name good in Israel. So was that enough? Did he owe the Lord anything else? Had he served him for enough time? Uh, 
I know that uh, whenever I'm down in the dust, sometimes I think to God, have I done enough? And I speak that to my shame. But uh, even when I get to 70 years old, even when I, if I get to 90, if I get to 72, I've never done enough to earn my salvation. I've never done enough in my life to pay back the Lord for what he's done for me. And uh, I think Elijah in his mind was saying, was his debt paid to God? And the answer is your debt will never be paid to God. And that's why, we have, that's why we'll be praising him throughout the ages. The next question I think he asked himself was, was the risk worth it? Was it worth it to put his life on the line to serve God? Throughout history, especially in the Fox Book of Martyrs, we see stories of people who literally gave their lives for Christ. And uh, they gave it all, literally. Um, and they, they took the risk, and they took the penalty of that risk. And I think when Elijah was going to that mountain, and even when he was on the mountain, he was thinking to himself, is the risk worth it for dying for God? And I, I want to ask you guys the same. Is the risk worth it for dying for God? Uh, a lot of us are not in a foreign country where we have to face that decision. Brother Ed and Miss Joyce, they were in the Philippines. I don't know if they ever faced a situation where they actually had to ask themselves that. Oh, well, they, praise God that they were never in that situation. But many missionaries and people in the world are in that situation each and every day. Um, and hopefully America will never get that way, but I think it might, especially in California. So, uh, um, but you're going to have to ask yourself, is it worth the risk to serve God? Is it worth financial uh, catastrophe? It might get that way. There might be a tax on Christians. Who knows? Is it worth social, uh, your name being run through the dirt? Is it worth imprisonment? You know, where are you willing to go? What is, what is you know the risk of being a Christian you know, are you willing to take that mantle upon yourself when persecution comes? And I think that Elijah asks himself, is the risk worth it? The second, or the third question I think he asked himself was, do the people deserve it? And this is the mindset that I find the most sad, that kind of creeps in my head sometimes, is when you're out serving the Lord, when people are mean to you, I had a lady, I, I, I didn't tell most of you this, she pulled a gun on me in the summer. She said, get off my property. You have to ask yourself this. Do they deserve it? Well, to ask her that question, I have asked myself, did I deserve it? I didn't deserve what Christ did for me. I didn't deserve him dying for me. But he did. When Elijah was going up there, what went through his mind was, they tried to kill me. I'm trying to help them bring them back to the Lord so they can have some sweet fellowship. And they're trying to kill me. And I think he asked himself, do they deserve it? Um, let me ask you, do you ever think, do, you, do, do they deserve it? Um, people are mean. They're not nice. I remember Jed telling a story of a, a guy pushing him off his stairs. And I, would, I thought about that every time I went up to a door with stairs. I got scared. Um, and uh, people are mean. But you know what? They still deserve the chance to hear the gospel because you didn't deserve the chance to hear the gospel, but someone still told you. So the answer is question, yes, they deserve it. But I think that went through his mind. And the fourth question 
is, is God faithful? I think that was the last question that went through his mind. We sang in the morning, great is thy faithfulness. We know that God's a faithful God. I told the teens uh, literally this past Wednesday that if you read your Bible, there, on average, each day, you can read 20 promises from God. And guess what? You can claim well, all the ones directed towards you. Um, but God is faithful. He doesn't tell lies. He's a truthful God. And uh, if, he, if he says it in his word, you can put a million dollars on it. It's going to be done. Um, and the thing is, when people attack us, even though we know what God's done in the past, there's always that little thought that creeps up. Will God protect me through this? Will God preserve me through this? Will God keep his word? And I think that that was one of the last questions that popped up into his mind was, would God be faithful through this? Now I'm on to my last point. You guys can take a side of relief. Um, this is to the point where I say, what happens if he didn't go? Because Elijah did go through that tough decision. Elijah did get attacked by people, by the world from Satan, by himself. Elijah did see victory. But what happens if Elijah decided he wasn't going to serve God anymore? What happens if he decided to those four questions that he was done? Uh, and I want to talk about the victims of what would happen if he would have said no. Um, the first victim would be God. Um, God has a plan for each and every one of us. Uh, he, puts, he put all his love on the cross to die for each and every one of us. And when you turn your back on him and decide not to serve him, it causes him immense pain. I can't tell you how many times I've told that to the teens. Um, it's like crucifying him anew. Um, he died for you, and a lot of Christians decide that their time, their money, their uh, thoughts are more important than his will. Um, I know that it's hot outside. I know that people are mean. But God commands us to go out and tell people about him. Um, Luckily, someone puts maps out there to, uh, and tracks out there so that we can go out anytime we want. Um, but who suffers the most when a Christian decides that they're not going to do God's will is God. Because he put all that time, effort, and care into you to see that you would prosper and that you would serve him and you decide not to. And that's the person who would have been the most affected if Elijah had said no. Um, and to this point, I think to myself, how can I relate this to you guys in that sense? If my parents uh, gave me a mission, maybe they said, uh, my name is on the line here. Uh, I told this person that I would help them move but I can't be there because I have another job. I'm sending you to do it. Um, and I decided not to do it. What would that look like on them? That'd make them look like liars and make them look, that'd drag their name through the mud. And that's basically what we do with Christ when we decide that we're not going to do his will, when we're not going to serve him. Uh, other Christians see when we have the opportunity to tell other peoples about Christ and we don't. Unbelievers see when we have the opportunity to glorify Christ, and we don't. Uh, when I worked at Little Caesars, they knew when they took the Lord's name in vain that I would say something to them because that offends me. And uh, 
I ever missed the chance, and I think I had before, to, to tell them not to say that, they knew and they would come talk to me and they'd say, you didn't say anything that time. And that was to my shame. And the thing is, when we don't stand up to God and we don't do his will, that hurts him. The second person that gets hurt when we decide not to do God's will is the lost. If Elisha would have never returned to Israel to fulfill God's will to anoint Elisha, they would have been in the same place. They were dying and going to hell. And that's basically where we are today nowadays. If we don't tell people about Christ, if we don't read our Bible, if we're not able to explain to others who God is and what he wants to do to you, then they're going to die and go to hell. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. There's one law in the universe, and that is you either love God and believe in him and go to heaven, or you die and go to hell. And uh, I don't know if there's one law in the universe, but that's the one I wanted to point out. And uh, the thing is, our choices matter in the fact that if I choose not to tell that cashier at Walmart about Jesus Christ, that might have been one of our only chances to ever hear about his name. Um, we as Christians, we say amen when we say God never fails. We say amen when uh, we talk about God's saving power. We say amen when we're talking about the great characteristics about our God. But when we have the chance to tell others about Christ, when we have the chance to serve him, we don't. And the lost is the biggest casualty of not doing that because they have the biggest at stake. So if Elijah would have said, no way, Jose, at that mountain, the loss would have been affected, and they would be on their way to hell. The next person that uh, would be affected by Elijah not going down from that mountain was his fellow believers. He thought he was the only one, but God told him specifically there were 7,000 more. And the truth of the matter is whenever we think we're at our worst, God always knows that there's something better. Um, and whenever... Uh, us as Christians, whenever we fall, that hurts everyone around us. Um, like I told you, I developed this message at Bible College where I see, ton or I see tons of people leave the ministry because they thought it was too hard. They thought the questions that I presented were too hard for them to face. And this message really was for me to tell me not to quit. And the thing is, whenever someone decides not to go to church, whenever someone tells me, hey, I'll go out soloing with you, and they decide not to, whenever I see someone fall in their Christian life, it hurts me. I mean, pastor, how many times have you seen people fall? Uh, many, I guess. And it hurts. It's like a dagger being thrown into you. It starts letting doubt creep up into your mind thinking, could that happen to me? Can I fall like them? And the answer is yes, but through God's strength, you're still there. And that's the biggest, that's part of the biggest point I wanted to share when I was at college was that when you fall, you hurt your fellow believers. When you don't go to church, you hurt your fellow Christians at church. When you don't go soul winning, you hurt your fellow believers at church that are going out. And the thing is, a lot of Christians, uh, they don't care. Who they, they hurt. They're, whenever someone's driven to the point of quitting, the main motivation is selfishness. So what I wanted to say was, 
when you quit, you hurt your fellow believers. And lastly, that's the key word there. Lastly, when you quit, you're hurting yourself. Um, whenever I hear the, the sentence, what is the reason for living? What is the point of life? People phrase in a lot of things. I always think to myself to the book of Ecclesiastes, it's serving God. Because that's basically what we're on earth to do. We're here to glorify him and serve him. But the world is always asking that question, what's the point of life? What's the reason for living? When we have it, we have the reason for life. And whenever a Christian decides that they're going to turn their back on the reason for living, that's going to hurt them. Uh, Elijah had the chance to help Israel make the greatest uh, revival at that time. When he was at that point in the palace, they had the greatest chance of having a personal revival then and there. But he chose to flee. And when he chose to flee, he went into a great depression. And I think that that's what a lot of Christians go through when they turn their back on God. As they go through a depression, they've just lost the greatest friend they could ever have through separation. Because God can't be there with sin. Um, and, uh, oh, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, you're just, you're losing... You're losing the will of God when you turn your back on his will. And that, that causes depression. Uh, sometimes it makes people feel worthless. It makes me feel worthless whenever I turn my back on God. And uh, whenever you choose not to do God's will, you, uh, you're hurting yourself. What would Elijah be doing if uh, he would have said no to God? Would he have stayed on that mountain and just lived out the rest of his days in misery? Uh, when he went down and hid himself in amenity and just uh, lived a boring life, you know, Elijah chose to get off that mountain. He chose to depart. He chose to do God's will, and God blessed him with taking him up in a whirlwind. I mean, no one here can claim that they've been to heaven without dying or been to heaven at all, but uh, Elijah was able to claim that because he chose to go and depart. So when you choose not to obey God's will, when you choose to stay on that mountain instead of leaving, when you're in your valley at your lowest and you choose not to go on, you're going to hurt God. You're going to hurt the lost. You're going to hurt your fellow believers, and you're going to hurt yourself. So in conclusion, mountains and valleys will come in the Christian life. It's guaranteed. There's no way around it. Your choices matter. You know, God clearly displays his strength in our life each and every day. Now the choice is yours to get up and to serve him, um, to get back up and to fill God's mission or to choose to quit. Um, this is my last little illustration. I'll be done. Ask yourself this. God was a person who has, when he was on earth as Jesus Christ, when, when Jesus was on the earth, he had the highest valleys you could ever hit. And he had the lowest, well, highest mountains you could ever hit and the lowest valleys you could ever be in. What happens if he decided before he got on that cross that he was going to quit? Garden of Gethsemane said, I'm not going to go through with this. It's not worth it. Where would we be now? Where would we be today? Ask yourself that. Thankfully, we know that God chose to get back up. He chose to go to that cross, and he chose to die for each and every one of us. He fulfilled his mission, now it's our time. So when the conscious choice comes up to quit, choose not. I'm just going to pray. 
Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you for allowing us to come here, uh, allowing us to do your will. And I pray that you'd be with this message, Lord. And I pray that uh, you'd give us the power to keep going, Lord, even when it's the toughest. And in your name, amen.